welcome to the Wrestling House Show. My name is Chris. My name is Joey. And this is a special mini-episode of the Wrestling House Show that we are putting out because, unfortunately, the past few weeks, couple months, I guess, have been pretty rough for fans of professional wrestling, especially like lifelong fans. Um, this is something we normally do on our regular wrap-up shows, talking about wrestlers who have passed, and unfortunately there have been kind of a lot lately. Yeah, this year, more so than in recent years that I can think of. Maybe it's just because it's all happening at the same time, but it just right. feels like it, especially yeah. big, big names, too. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we just didn't want this to feel like an afterthought on the longer show. We wanted to give it the space that it deserves you know, to talk about some of these guys. Because some of these wrestlers do... I mean, I think for me, just talking personally, I know, like, some wrestlers, their passing have, like, hit me really hard. Because when you watch these people, it's not... It's even more than, like, an actor or something. It's like, we watch these guys every single week for yeah. maybe years it, of our lives. And it's we not follow just like them. one... Yeah, it's not just once a year yeah. or maybe a couple of times a year. If you're, right. if you're or six times a year if you're the rock yeah exactly but, yeah <laughs> but yeah yeah they're in your life for a long time yeah and so you do feel on a certain level like you get to know them yes it's the character but you do follow their careers and you follow them and of course in the day and age with internet and everything you follow them closer than you ever have before yeah but yes all that leads up to it was there was, what was it a sunday where it was nikolai volkov Brian Christopher and Brickhouse Brown all passed away on the same day. Or we got the news Ju of it, yeah. at least. On yeah. July 19th is when we found yeah. out. Uh, so I want to leave with this. Uh, talk about Brickhouse Brown. That's, uh, you know, easily, and not, uh, with all due respect, the, the least famous of the four yeah. that recently passed. But the, the interesting thing to me uh, is that I, I have a really good memory of Brickhouse Brown 1989 was the, my first all-in year, like the first right. calendar year where I watched wrestling from the beginning of the year to the end. And yeah. that, so that was my that was my rookie year. Came in on the fall of '88. Right. So once I finally was able to find world-class wrestling, they used to show it on KTVT every Saturday night, uh, syndicated over mm. in Abilene, Texas, three hours away from yeah. Dallas. Right. And that's where I got to meet. Guys like, uh, well, you know, Kevin uh, Kevin and Kerry Von Erich were mm. still wrestling. Kerry for sure was full-time. Kevin was just about to retire. Yeah. But then they started bringing all these new guys. I talked about how much I used to love Eric Embry's run that year, fighting Devastation Incorporated. Uh, Cactus was there. Uh, Stunning Steve Austin was just about to get in. So it was, it was a fun time. Chris Adams, I could go on and on. Uh, Brickhouse Brown played a very pivotal role. Uh, hell of a hand, as they say, <laughs> you know. But... Uh, it really hit me with uh, Mick Foley did a recent tribute to him online, so I kind of wanted to read it. Sure. Uh, I love Mick. He's one of my favorite people, famous, non-famous in the yeah. entire world. It's very verbose, very heartfelt tribute here to Brickhouse Brown. So yeah. for those of you who don't know a whole lot about him, settle down for a minute. Mick Foley's going to tell you everything you need to know about this guy. So yeah. this is from Mick, not from me, because, well, obviously, <laughs> he's a way better writer than me. So he talks about the day, how those guys have died. So I'll skip ahead here. Uh, Brickhouse Brown, I was honored to call a friend for the past 30 years. Quite simply, Brick was good to me when not too many people were. When I debuted at Memphis in the summer of 88, I had a rough time making the transition from independent wrestling, where the name of the game was to make every opponent look as good as possible at every chance, to working with the full-time Memphis promotion. 
where how strong or weak you looked against which opponents and why had a great deal to do with how many butts would be in the seats of cities we worked on a weekly basis. Memphis every Monday, Louisville every Tuesday, Evansville every Wednesday, Nashville every Saturday, with spot shows throughout Tennessee, Mississippi, Kentucky, Arkansas, and the Indiana area every Wednesday and Thursday. Uh Nice schedule, huh? Brickhouse had just turned babyface when I arrived as the newest member of Robert Fuller's stud stable. Robert Fuller, by the way, this is my Mm -hmm. sidebar, Tennessee Lee and Colonel Robert Parker. (laughs) And on my first Monday night in Memphis, he had the Mid-South Coliseum rocking as he served up payback to former stablemate, gorgeous Gary Young. Gary would, uh, this another sidebar, Gary would be Cactus's tag partner later in world class. So Brickhouse had that fire needed to launch into a great babyface comeback, and I learned from him in the ring, in the car, on the road, and on a daily basis. In this hectic, competitive, surreal world, Brickhouse Brown became an unlikely ally and friend to me. Quote, Cactus, you're going to make it in this business, he said with a laugh after I returned from a Saturday morning TV match. Trust me, this was not a position shared by many in the wrestling world at the time. Quote, you're going to make it because fans can tell you're actually having fun out there, and that's what makes it fun for them to watch. When Jerry Jarrett purchased World Class, based out of Dallas, a few of his Memphis wrestlers, me, Brick, and Gary, made the move to Dallas. Brickhouse loved the city of Dallas, knew the best places for catfish and barbecue, and took great pride in showing me around a new city, a new territory, and brought it with a new lease of, on my wrestling life. By now, some of you may have heard stories about my legendary thriftiness on the road. Some of them, okay, most of them are true. Mm-hmm. But almost all of them began out of necessity. And when World Class made a January trip to Illinois, even though we were based out of Dallas, <laughs> I found myself without enough money for a hotel room and was simply too shy to ask if I might crash in a fellow wrestler's room. So I borrowed the keys to the van the company had rented and found myself huddled in the back seat with a sheet I had scavenged from the housekeeping department as the temperature dipped into the teens. After an hour or so, there was a knock on the van door, and I peered out the window and saw Brick's smiling face. Cactus Jack, he said with a warm and very much welcome laugh. (laughs) What are you doing out here, man? When I told him I simply lacked the funds, he laughed again. (laughs) Even 30 years after the fact, I can still hear that laugh in my mind. I can still hear that warm voice telling me, Get out of the van, man. You're staying with me. And so I did, and I never forgot it. We stayed in touch off and on until a few months before his death. The pain he endured in his final year was agonizing, and he was so thankful for the love that was given to him by wrestling fans and those he had worked with uh, and to the Cauliflower Alley Company for their support. I see only now that a few of the messages I sent never reached him, unfortunately, and I wish I'd been a better friend at the end. I look back at some of those text messages he sent me in the final year and wish I could have done more to help. Quote, one year is all I really have is what they told me. It's way too late for me now, Mick. I'm in so much pain. Wow. You are free from all that pain now, Brick. Rest in peace, my friend. To which he asked, share the post so people can know about this guy. Yeah. There's not much else to say. Yeah. I have a very decent memory of Brickhouse Brown as a competitor and entertainer, but that's mix that at all. Yeah, absolutely. That's the best tribute you can think of. You know, it's those personal stories that yeah that you carry with you, and it was really cool of Mick to do that. Mick is. Awesome guy, and yeah, I never, I didn't know Brickhouse Brown. Mm. I was into WWE when I was that age, and yeah, I, I'm the Von Erics. I knew them, sure, but it was sure. because of WWE. Yeah, so. it's it's it's, but it, he was one of the, um, you know, like I, I didn't even know he came from Memphis because I just knew yeah. him as a world class guy. So right. that was eye opening right there for me. 
But, you know, those guys came in and they made the show entertaining. Yeah. So even though he was a supporting player, he did hold titles. And, you know, he was an important guy for that era and yeah. a big part of my rookie year. So Definitely. Yeah. It's definitely worth digging into the YouTube videos and trying to scrounge up some matches in Brickhouse Brown at this point, you know. Yeah. But uh, one guy that did mean a lot to me when I was a kid growing up and in my formative pro wrestling years, I guess, was one of the other men that passed on that day. It was Nikolai Volkov. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, Monster heel. What, yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to say could make the top 10 all-time heels. Uh, easily top 10 heels of the 80s. 70s and 80s? I would say definitely. I mean, yeah. the, the, the Russian national anthem is, oh. I mean, that is tops as far as, like, annoying heel things to do. It's it, it set the standard, in my opinion, you know? Yeah. You know, and one of my earliest memories of Nikolai, just besides being a wrestler, was his participation in the wrestling album because of his awesome operatic-esque voice. Sure. Or the Kairami, Marie, right. or whatever it's called. Yeah. But as I've grown over the years, and some of you may know me as a big, fat music nerd, uh, I recently, in the last few years, came across this, and I bought this to add to my collection for vinyl, specifically based on my fandom of Nikolai. I actually have in my hands... <laughs> and Chris, <laughs> I cannot read any of that. This is... And I'm going to turn around and yeah. show you the back of it for the translation. This is a 12-inch copy <laughs> of the Soviet National Anthem. <laughs> that is amazing. And I own that because of Nikolai right. Volkov. I was always hoping one day I could get him to autograph it. Sadly, right. that won't happen. But, yeah, that's why I have something like this in my house. Right, yeah. Not because I am a Soviet Republican <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> whatever member... <laughs> Or a card-carrying communist, right? But because of freaking one of the greatest deals of all time. That's awesome. Yeah. When I came into my fandom, uh, probably you were probably I'm sure watching at the same time during the '80s is yeah. when he was already in the Bolsheviks by this time. Yeah. I, with with Boris Zukov, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to go back and find all the you know the tapes. Him and Iron Sheik, man. Mm. Like as much as I hated the Bolsheviks at the time when I was a kid, like that was like a blip of like almost like cartoony right. stuff compared to the stuff he was pulling with the sheik i mean yeah. causing near riots and and just and we've talked about this before i think they had the best match at wrestlemania one yeah that was easily the best match of the first wrestlemania and definitely made uh, a mark there but just yeah going back and watching all of his stuff with the iron sheik is it's just so great yeah like, they they work it doesn't seem like they would go well together but you know they they do because it's because Sheik is kind of I mean he's all over the place but <laughs> yeah. then Volkov is very like he's he's very meticulous about what he does even though he's kind of a goofball at the yeah. same time yeah he's that kind of heel where you love him but you want to see him get beat all the time yeah and you love to see him do the national anthem but you always want to see him get interrupted yeah but, yeah, yeah. And when he does get it that one time you're like yeah, yeah okay secretly you're kind of happy about it The best uh, interruption would have to be by somebody that we're going to talk about later on. So I'll bring it up later. Yeah, getting interrupted that way. You waited for that, and he was just a bear, man. And he was a great wrestler. That's the thing. He obviously had great amateur skills. Um, I think much like the Sheik, he had some sort of like amateur background. Sheik definitely did, but it it felt like... It seems like he did, yeah. Yeah. Because it's you wouldn't expect when you look at the guy and you listen to him, you wouldn't really you would just think he's this big burly dude. He's just gonna like go in there like bear paw everybody, yeah, but bear hugs, yeah, and, and shit like but that. But he's a, surprisingly 
technical in in some of what he does. You yeah, know, and he can put together some great matches. Yeah, good mover even for someone yeah. booked as a super heavyweight. Right. He was over three bills from most of his career and everything. Yeah. I even you know followed it all the way through to his USA babyface turn, mm-hmm. teaming up with Hacks after the Cold War ended. We had to go get current because yeah. there was. Russia fine, never right. good. Russia never good, right. but Russia fine. Right. It's 1990. Yeah. Iraq bad. <laughs> <laughs> so now, like I just remember that SummerSlam, they had them team up with Hacksaw to fight the Orient Express. Oh wow! Because yeah. now USA and Russia were going to fight as superpowers against any foreign right. enemy. You know, so it was short lived, but you know, yeah, it was nice to see Volkov get cheered for the first time in his career. Right, and then he became this. He became this hybrid of a heel and a baby face. Mm. This stuff is underrated because uh, during the uh, early to mid-90s and the early days of Raw, and Ted DiBiase is doing the Million Dollar Corporation, mm. and you know he's, he's kind of becoming the Paul Heyman, as I like to call him, of WWE yeah. at the time, because he's great on the mic. we, we got to use him somehow, so let's give him this massive stable of guys. And he got up to like seven dudes at one point. Wow. One of them, later on, uh, being Nikolai Volkov. So the bit is, is that Nikolai squandered his money <laughs> and he needed a job because he had a family to provide for. They actually humanized Nikolai for the first time in his career. Yeah. And he is an unwilling bad guy, but he sold out because he needed the money. Yeah. So in his matches, he's probably still getting booed here. But it's not like we hate him and we want to, we right. want to, you know, kill him. You know, you kind of feel bad for him. Yeah, he was he was a sad sack, but he was <laughs> DiBiase's like you know bear to, yeah. you know, do his dirty work and anything he asked him, and he and he had to wear a, a scent sign on his tights uh, because he wasn't worth a dollar; he was worth a penny. <laughs> wow. And I missed was, a lot of that, I guess. It yeah. was just like, wow. And that was real forward thinking yeah. as a, a way to present him in a different light. Yeah. Because they could have easily brought in Nikolai Volkov right. and have the average crowd member boo him just because of his yeah. past accomplishments and, yeah. and tactics. Well, because he's not USA, which exactly. <laughs> for wrestling we know yeah. USA is number one, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> easy bond. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, there you go. I, those are the things I remember about Nikolai. And you never heard like in this day and age of rumor mills and, and yeah. locker room stories getting out. Have you ever heard a Nikolai Volkov shenanigan no. story? No. no. Uh, apparently, tremendous family man, day one, no scandals, no controversies, and then and in this kind of a fandom, if there was something about him, we would have heard about yeah. it. No. So that's almost all the tribute you can give that guy, just right as a person. Absolutely, right yeah. And then I guess moving along, like in my own personal, because uh, I did stop watching wrestling for a little while. I think yeah. we've talked about it on the show before. Yeah. And then my fault. But then this guy over here <laughs> brought me back into it. Um, and around the time that I was getting back into it, like all the time, we were watching every show that they had on TV, the WWE yeah. had on TV. Even Super Astros. Even Super Astros. It eventually yeah. got to the point where we were so starved for wrestling every week. Right. We were watching Rashford. Nothing against it. No, yeah. But it was just it that's that's yeah. that's next level. I wanted stuff. all of it, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> Shotgun Saturday Night was one of my favorite things at the time because it was it came on after Saturday Night Live, I think. Yeah. For a while at least. And it was, when, around, it was like it would kinda overlap it, but it was yeah. a little later. Usually around here it was either eleven 1130 yeah. sometimes midnight i think after all they used to keep bumping it later and right. later as time yeah. went on yeah. but 
I love Shotgun. I, I saw some of the early weird ones. Yeah. By the time by the time Attitude happened, they were just taping him before Raws or in the middle yeah. of Raws as we saw one yeah, time. That's true, yeah. So um but yeah. But yeah, so that was kind of an appointment for me every week is everybody, my parents would be asleep and it was just me in my room watching Shotgun Saturday Night and one of my favorite teams at the time of me getting back into wrestling was too much. Not too cool, too much. Yeah. Like before they were too cool. Same team. Yeah. I I love the stuff they did with Rikishi and everything, but they were always too much to me. Like Brian Christopher and and Scott Taylor. We uh, might be. Scotty Too Hotty. Yeah. And he was still he was Scotty Too Hotty. Scott Too Hot Taylor became Scotty Scotty Too Too Hot Taylor. Yeah. And then uh, Too Hot and and Too Sexy. Yeah. And they did that. Um, you know, it, it's it was a tired gimmick at this point, as far as like the way that they were probably told to act. Yeah. The feign hugging, and then they get the uh, you know homophobic chants. Yeah. And that's that was them on the surface. Yeah. But amazing wrestling ability. Yeah. Good tag team wrestling, and you know, the 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 hyena cackle. The, the comedy, yeah. Like uh, Brian Christopher. One, I don't. It may have been on a shotgun, but there was one in particular. No, I, I think it was Sable at ringside. I think it was her. Yes. And Brian Christopher goes up to her because I think because I don't know if he's in the match or not, but he's at ringside. I remember this. This is a raw yeah. match. It's <laughs> it's during the Marrows getting too uh, annoyed with Sable. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. So. And he just goes right up to Sable, like right in her face, and is like, "I know you want me. I know you want my number." <laughs> and then just like does that laugh and like laughs right in her face and like throws his arms to the side. Yeah. Any oh. other. Any other show that's straight out of like Law and Order SVU, right. you know, like or anything yeah. else, that kind of situation, yeah. and that dialogue. But I was but, in my late teens. Yeah. It was hilarious to it was me. Comedy yeah. gold, man. Like, and <laughs> I remember even Lawler in the booth handing him a notepad to get Sable's right. phone number. Yeah, you know, oh, like, yeah stuff that. like that. Because this is still the no, he's not my son. Yeah, you know? like yeah. you know, wants float on his own. You yeah, know? and. Yeah, I found that Brian, in the Memphis days, when he was learning how to wrestle from his dad, he was teaming with him, sometimes against him. But I think he uh, probably is in the top three guys of, like, number of titles held in that territory, like, forever. You know? That makes sense, yeah. He just, he held so many titles, whatever, junior titles, heavyweight titles, tag titles. I mean, he, like, held everything he probably could in Mid-South Wrestling. Right. So he had already he'd already been a big star, and I remember reading about him in Pro Wrestling Illustrated way before I ever saw him wrestle. Right. So when he finally got to WWF, WWE, and he's wrestling in too much, I yeah. and he had already done that that run with Taka Michinoku where he didn't win the cruiserweight title, oh, but yeah. he was he was Taka's biggest yeah. you know opponent and and rival at that point. Yeah. So they never put the title on him, but then they found out you know hey there's this other guy that we really, really liked in the tournament. And they put them together. And they were not friends in advance. Really? And the other interesting thing is Scott Taylor actually did post a tribute to Brian mm. on, you know, on Twitter or something yeah. after after Brian passed away recently. And he even was a little candid in the sense he's like, um, I was never writing partners with Brian. Wow. We were not tremendous friends. Yeah. But we had a mutual respect. And when that bell rang, we made magic together. Yeah. So... He, I don't think he ever hated Brian, but they obviously weren't besties. Sure, yeah. Which is rare for tag teams. Yeah. Um, you know, you... You always hear about the stories, like, living together, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, living in the car together and in hotel yeah. rooms and all that stuff, but they were they never roomed or uh, rode together. It's interesting that they could 
create something like that and and not professionally and not yeah. be like that personally. Yeah. yeah. And and that, that's almost like a, a comedy team thing. Like Martin yeah. and Lewis, they yeah. they didn't like each other either. Oh, right. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, true. Yeah. Like, think but, about it that way. but when the lights were on it was gold. So yeah. that's that was the relationship that they had. So yeah. I, I thought that was really interesting that he you know, I appreciated Scott's honesty about it. Cause yeah, because yeah, it's easy to lie and say, like, oh, I loved him, he was the best, but, you know, it's, yeah. it means more when you're honest like that. And yeah. I think, I know Brian Christopher had his demons and he had trouble through over the years, but for Scott Taylor to be like, yeah, well, this is who he is, and yeah. this is, I, I love the guy regardless of anything else that was happening. Like, this was our relationship. Yeah. That's really cool. If you follow their post- respected post WWE careers yeah. it's yin yang just as, yeah. as he as yeah. he would say so but, yeah and but man yeah and i remember when they made that comeback as too much and literally i don't remember who it was but one of them was out for like a whole year with a neck injury or something like that. it was a really bad injury i don't remember that i think and then when yeah. they brought them back and they had them they were doing the hip hop thing and they like you know yeah. interrupted a hardy's match or an edge of christian match yeah, yeah. somebody's match and they had the big boom box out and yeah and I was like, oh, that's funny. And I thought that was going to last a week. Yeah. I, I thought that they were just doing it to be funny. Right. I was like, oh, too much is back. And they're putting them in with the big boys now. Yeah. But, no, oh, they had just totally changed their gimmick. And yeah. it was like, yeah, but hey, I'm glad they did because that's what caught fire yeah. with the fans. And yeah. I'm all for it if that's the case. Exactly. I'm usually all for it. Yeah, yeah. I supported them in their run. <laughs> what was it Brian Christopher's thing was the thriller, I guess, on yeah. his way to the ring? Yeah. Yes. That was... Yeah. It, because he needed something, man, because, yeah. you know, Scotty had the worm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so yeah. But uh, backtracking a little bit, you know what I thought you were going to say before you mm. were talking about the Sable bit? The best one is, like, uh, Brian Christopher pretty much on WWE television debuted that Sunset Flip powerbomb. That thing was oh, yeah. sick. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. From, from the ring to the floor. And there's not a whole lot of guys that are stupid enough to take that move. Jeff right. Hardy was the main guy that would take yeah. that move, which, you know. Right. And it was probably Jeff Hardy taking it at mm. one point, or Taka, or somebody really cool and from that yeah. weight division. Yeah. And I just remember it probably on a shotgun, and he just getting right... He's got this grill yeah. right in the camera going, the boy's dead! Yeah, with yeah, that yeah, laugh, yeah. which I can never replicate, so I'm not doing But yeah, just yeah. have him always go up to the camera going, the boy's dead, man! <laughs> and, uh, oh, love it. Love yeah, because so it was like too much, and the Hardy Boys and the Brood... Like that was shotgun for me, yeah. and that's the what I remember. And they would they would wrestle each other like every single week, yeah. like any of those those mix up teams. And we even when we went to a Raw back then, we had a Brood sign, and I believe I had a Hardy Boy sign. We did, and we had a Too Much sign. We did. And those yes. were the three signs we made. Yeah, um, I think I still have the signs somewhere yeah. to this day, so I'm gonna have to maybe pull these out for picture right. proof, but. And I remember the people were like making. There was these dudes who were like sitting near us, and they were making fun. I was like, "You like those teams? You like yeah. the, you like the Hardy Boys? Right. They're like Rockers Light. They ain't yeah. gonna do anything." Right. <laughs> and even to an extent, liking too much, or like, well, you like yeah. those guys. Every one of those teams became tag champions. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. they made an impact in that era. Yeah. And uh, I just wish I could have seen the look on those guys' faces when those guys won their right. respective titles. Yeah. So yeah, you know stuff like that. Good memories. Yeah. And it, it's an it's an important important for our our journey even just as friends that brian christopher major part of that yeah when we were getting into e-wrestling back in the late 90s like at least for me when we were so we've talked about it before on the show i don't know long time listeners may know but e-wrestling was a thing where you would go and you would do promos online which is basically make a character write a story like he's doing an interview and then they would judge it for based on whoever did the better interviews would win the matches yeah anyway 
we created characters back in the late 90s, 1998 is when we were doing it, and from my side, too much was a gigantic inspiration for oh, a yeah. lot of the stuff we did. Because yeah. we would have our guys act pretty much just like too much. Yeah, they were like influence number one yeah. as far as... And that's how we wanted to see them on TV. Yeah. Like we had we had great ideas for too much <laughs> that went way beyond yeah. the gay thing and like the yeah, will yeah. they or won't they with the DOA and right. all that other stuff. Yeah. Lazy Russo writing over there. We right. had the good writing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a shame we never got to cross paths there. Right. Right? That's all I'm trying to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, thanks for bringing that up, Chris. I, I, that's a, that's a great point to bring yeah, up, yeah. and that makes my heart a little heavier there. So, <laughs> it's not over from here, though, man. No. Uh, we've got one more big one, and yeah. Uh, so, I gotta say, and I went right up to Chris, and I know Chris knows this stuff because I've told him over and over again some of my wrestling stuff over the years. It was I talked about. Oh, the best interruption for the Russian national anthem mm-hmm. has to be WrestleMania six, yeah. with the Hart Foundation interrupting the Russian national anthem yeah. and beating them in record time. Guy who was a major part of that, of course, um, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And going back to my early years here, because I just thought about that six thing and I didn't want to miss it. Mm. But when, as a kid, being on the school bus and hearing about Hulk and Andre and Junkyard Dog and the British Bulldogs, yeah. and it was because of somebody talking about, man, the British Bulldogs, they do stuff I've never seen. Like, they don't, they're like acrobats or something. And mm-hmm. that's the buzz. I, I don't remember what guy said that on the bus, but I remembered it. Right. And then one day I'm just changing the channels, probably during the summer, and I'm off from school. And all of a sudden I see the British Bulldogs come down the aisle. I'm like, hey, that's where this is. Mm. Started watching it. And then the team that they were facing was the Hart Foundation. The first match I ever saw wow. as a Prozing fan was the Hart Foundation versus the British Bulldogs. So when kind Nida, of spoiled you like right from the start. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, it became a, it made me a smart mark from day right. one. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, so of the first four wrestlers I ever saw have a full match. It was Jim Neidhart was one of them. So when he went the other day, that really hit me hard, and that's yeah. the first thing I, th- I actually thought of Natty first before I thought yeah. about my own ass. Right, but man. And uh, I just I just saw her a few weeks ago on Twitter. They they went to the Smashing Pumpkin show together, and I wow. showed you that picture. Yeah. And I was like, that makes me so happy. Yeah. Uh, Billy looks happy. They all look just happy. She was like, great night out with the family. Yeah. And uh, so they got to have this really nice night uh, in a time where Natty probably doesn't have a lot of nights off to spend with anybody. Yeah. Uh, so I thought about stuff like that. Yeah. And, and it's sad. It um, is. Yeah. Like for me too, I can't remember my first wrestling match ever. It's, uh, but the early matches that really got me hooked on wrestling were, of course, the Hart Foundation and the British Bulldogs. Like um, Davy Boy Smith was my favorite for a long time. Bret oh, yeah. Hart and Jim and I Hart, like all like together. I think that's kind of why both of us probably love tag team wrestling so much is because of those four guys. Yeah, we were we were definitely spoiled. And yeah, so it's. I don't know. Yeah, it was I always was when I was really little, like watching. I was kind of confused. Like they're a Heart Foundation, but his name is Nightheart. Like I don't, I, I didn't understand <laughs> yeah. it. And like, we didn't know that they were brothers-in-law yeah, at that point. Yeah, I don't know when they became brothers. Like are they but... brothers or like why is his name different? I don't get it. <laughs> but I didn't care. Like it was, it was great every time they were in the ring. And, I didn't even have the concept of what a Tank and Ferrari team was. Right. So that's the term that gets thrown around. But one of the ultimate Tank and Ferrari tag teams. Brett was the cool guy that I wanted to be. Yeah. But Neidhart's the guy that you wanted to have your back with. Right. 
and he'd follow you into the sun. He just he would, but he was crazy enough to do it too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those promos. I mean, if you go back and watch some, of the, you have access to primetime wrestling on the WWE Network if you have it, and watch some of those old prime times. There's not a, there, there's a decent amount of Heart Foundation matches in there. Mm. But watching the promos are great because not that Brett has ever been accused of being the best promo guy ever, right. but he would have been like a shell of a promo guy if he hadn't worked with Nyhart and right. was, and that and Jimmy Hart. Uh, to be yeah. fair. But it's just fun because Nineheart just takes over the whole thing yeah. every time, because he's he's as weird as Savage, <laughs> yeah. but in a different way. He's yeah. too much coffee man, just like Savage, yeah. but in a different way. It's like the laugh and he's stroking his beard when he's talking. Yeah, yeah. and I, I I'll never forget Gorilla Monsoon putting Nineheart over as a guy that could bench five hundred plus, and there wasn't a lot of guys that could do that yeah. at the time, and little things like that. Yeah. And. I remember even when they tried to, they didn't break up the Hart Foundation in 89, but they had them wrestling singles a lot mm. to the point where they were even on separate Survivor Series teams that year. Oh, yeah. And But they never broke them up. Yeah. It was weird. But I, I'll never, also never forget the Saturday Night's main event right after Savage lost the title, after WrestleMania five, mm. and he brought in Sherry. The debut match that he had with Sherry on television was against Jim Neidhart. Oh, wow. And I can't tell you how much I was rooting for Neidhart that <laughs> night. Neidhart, and Savage gave him everything that match. Yeah. Uh, he was doing that cool shoulder block whip-in thing from the yeah. from the apron, and he even got the power slam, I think, at one point. So he, he whipped Savage all over that ring. Savage, <laughs> of course, pulled it off with dubious circumstances, and he had sure. to cheat to beat Neidhart. Yeah. That's the other thing about it. Like, he... Even then, he just had the world title, but he still had to cheat to beat Neidhart. Because <laughs> right. that's how awesome Neidhart was. Yeah. Just things like that. And I think about the later Heart Foundation stuff with the Heart Gang. Yeah, that was, um, yeah. That stuff is still ahead of its time. Yeah, I've had to go back and watch a lot of that because I missed, that was in that gap right for me. Yeah, it was, was right before. Right before Attitude. But yeah. it was this, you know, on paper and just looking at it, it's like, man, that's probably the best unit ever assembled. Yeah. The Five Guy team. Oh, yeah. At, with Pillman as the, uh, like, out trying to out crazy Nightheart. And right. Nightheart almost seemed to be pulling back just to help out Pillman. Put yeah. that character over. I yeah. noticed that at the time too. And it's so sad thinking about that now, though. Like, how many of those guys aren't here anymore? You know. Did you see that photo where they have they have mm. them all in the ring raising their hands? I think wow. it's after the Canadian Stampede match, and yeah. it's all black and white except for Brett because Brett's wow. the only one. I mean, it's, yeah. God, it just hurt me. Yeah. So, just on principle, classic classic match of the month. It's on this bonus episode. Mm-hmm. Go watch that Canadian Stampede in your house and watch uh, the Hart Foundation as a unit. Good times rolling with the family so yeah yeah i got nothing else to say chris no i think that's that's all just wanted to share some of our memories because yeah like i said at the beginning of this they do mean a lot to us and this is exactly why because they did influence our lives in maybe in small ways but they did i mean they were a part of it so it's yeah it's it's important to uh uh, kind of like Mick Foley, not to the extent, but we're sharing our own personal experiences as yeah. a tribute to those guys. Yeah. So this uh, this show and this month's show is dedicated to uh, the memories of Brickhouse Brown, Nikolai Volkov, Brian Christopher, and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Thank you for listening. We'll see you guys later. Mr. Volkov, on behalf of his team, requests that you all rise and respect his singing of the Soviet National Anthem. I- I'm not rising. You can rise. Go ahead, stand there. Really disrespectful, aren't you, Monsoon? If they could sing, I might, but they can't. What does that have to do with anything?
Sportsmanship is that, Gorilla. I, I thought it was rather good. You like that, huh? Well, 